Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by Deutsche Telekom in Bonn in April 2018, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Stefan Kuhn, Vice President of the Telekom Design Gallery at Deutsche Telekom, to discuss how design thinking can support companies during their cultural transformation. Stefan explains how the organization approached customer centricity and delves into best practices to uncover latent customer needs. The conversation also touches upon trend scouting and how technology has gradually evolved to become more user-centric. Stefan, thank you very much uh, once again for the presentation uh, that you've just given. And thank you for joining me in uh, my interview studio that I've set up in, the, in this kind of workspace, hands-on workspace. My pleasure. Um, maybe we can start the interview just briefly by you um, explaining, introducing yourself, explaining who you are, um, what uh, company you work for, and what role you have, just to start with. So, my name is uh, Stefan Kohn. I'm responsible for the Telekom Design Gallery, which is our future and innovation forum here at our global headquarter of Deutsche Telekom in Bonn. Let me ask you to start with how design thinking has been really been driving into the kind of the processes and the culture and it's, it's still a, a process of, of doing that. How does it, you've been mentioning it briefly in the presentation, how it connects kind of to the larger innovation process. Maybe you can elaborate a bit more on how design thinking and some of the steps how do they fit into the larger framework you were mentioning the stage gate yeah so um, I don't want to overemphasize design thinking it's not um, in Germany we would say Eierlegende Wollmilchsau so uh, the solution for all the problems but for us it was really a helpful tool to accompany our cultural change effort you have to understand Deutsche Telekom as an incumbent telco player in Germany was a um, public authority then basically in the 90s, uh, 20, uh, beginning of the century, we brought technology to the market. Everyone has now a mobile phone and we were sometimes surprised what people are doing with their devices. And we realized for the future, we have to be more customer centric. That's the only differentiator we have in the market since our product, our core assets are standardized um, and um, regulated, uh, the only differentiation is customer experience in front of us. So we have to understand our customers as well, um, well in the B2B market as well in the B2C market. And for that, design thinking is a very helpful tool to implement this kind of thinking in the organization and drive our, all our innovation activities towards the topic of customer centricity. And of course, we have an existing innovation ecosystem and large organization is kind of resistant to change in many cases. So we didn't basically to replace something and then say design thinking is a new method. We just wanted to complement existing um, processes like the stage gate process we are having by design thinking saying if you have stage one, two, three, four, please use design thinking methodology one, two, three, four, five, so that this matches with existing processes and it's easier to understand, easier to digest and easier to apply for all our employees. Let me ask you about the team composition. If, if there's an, a project, a new project that, w that is very explorative, how do you um, assemble teams for that project uh, usually? What, what do you look for? Well, we look, um, I always say diversity drives innovation. So we look for diverse teams. Um, 
it's always good to have designers uh, in the team. It's good to have makers, so coders, software developers, hardware developers together, and of course some people that understand the business side. Because innovation, from a design thinking perspective, is always when you have a mixture of satisfying a customer need in a better way, using for that new technology, and of course thinking about the value for the company you're working with, because in the end we also have to make money. Um, but if we basically pits those pieces together, then innovation is possible and for that you need a very diverse team. What approaches and methods do you use, especially for those uh, customer or user insights that are not really spoken, that are now more kind of latent and, and unspoken? Uh, what are some of the, the, the things you do to find out what people really want or need and not what they say? Yeah, so we have a lot of different tools. So design thinking is, I always say, a mindset. And below this mindset, we have a lot of different tools and methods to work for. So when we're talking about the first phase of understand, understanding the customer and explore, uh, it's about really going out to the customers, do ethnographic research, basically look how people are behaving, going in their apartments. So we have test beds uh, in Berlin, for example, where we have a sample community which we regularly visit. So in the past we had even researchers from us staying uh, with people for one or two weeks to basically monitor their daily behavior. Um, so it's a very di diverse set. What is important, it's not about one product for the whole population. So we have certain segments and for those market segments we created personas. And those personas give a first guideline. So we have a common understanding and those personas are continuously further developed and give our developers, designers, um, product managers a clear understanding of this is the right market segment. And if you want to dig deeper, we have a selection um, of people here in the region which we can call and that have the same social demographics like our core persona. So we can basically personalize them with real persons and have interviews, uh, visit them, ask for their feedback. And in many cases, it's also about the testing phase, so where we can demonstrate um, prototypes, mock-ups that we developed and ask for their opinion. That was interesting. I mean, one of the questions I always ask with the organizations and teams and people getting into design thinking is how to make sure that, um, that you cater for a larger, uh, or if you, if you go that qualitative on single people, how you cater for a larger segment. And you've answered that uh, f uh, during the presentation already. But now I'd be curious to follow up and ask another question about how those personas were developed and kind of in the organization, who was uh, helping in that? Was it the marketing department also uh, helping with the segmentation and, and connecting the, this to the single personas? Or how do, did you create those personas in the first place? Well, um, on the one hand side, we had our market segmentation that is coming from our marketing uh, department. And then uh, we did a lot of uh, qualitative interviews with people from those segments. And that basically was a database for all, all our personas. We transcribed that and created a basically booklet for each uh, persona in this market segment. And then we used um, designers basically to also present it in a very nice and easy to understand way to all of us. So in total, that was a very... Um, tough effort, which, which took a lot of uh, effort also in, in terms of men days and men months that uh, went into that, but it was really worth it because now the whole organization knows, for example, Harald. Harald is 55, technology enthusiast, upper segment, so he has some money and he's typically the guy who is first buying um, new tech products um, because simply he loves technology. 
But of course, he has completely different needs than Lasse or Maike, um, who are from other segments, um, which in the end are uh, focusing or building our mass market segments. Now, when, when we talk about testing and you have those personas, um, uh, do you have a, you know, those kind of focus groups or a, a group of people that represent kind of all those personas for testing that you can go to? Or how do you find, do you have a, a stronger relationship with those uh, testees or testers in the end? Or is it that you randomly try to find them uh, every no. now, now and again? <coughs> no, we have, a, we have a standing set. So we're working with, with a partner for that who's doing the sourcing and they have a huge database of people that regularly uh, come to Deutsche Telekom for tests. Of course, if people are moving out, if they change their socio-demographics and they are not representing the core persona, this is continuously updated, but we have a standing set of people. So if um, we want, for example, to test certain products, um, it's very easy for us to source people that are representative uh, for our personas and ask real people about uh, our assumptions, their feelings, their needs, uh, their problems, and um, do qualitative research with them. How and where are those experiments or testings uh, conducted? Is it in the environments at home or is it here or are there different scenarios or different use cases where the testing is basically taking place? That really depends on the project and the stage where we are. In many cases we invite the people over here and then have special facilities like our Telecom Design Academy as a room or the Telecom Design Gallery where we present our concepts and then um, start the discussion with um, our persona representatives, but from time to time it's also important to go out and see in the field and talk to them. Um, we did also some other things like, for example, taking a bus, um, going out on the street and doing interviews with um, people on the street to um, see new insights. Um, we even um, went out and uh, um, rented via Airbnb um, apartments that are representative for certain personas and took uh, 360 uh, recordings of them so people can use um, virtual reality to be more immersed um, in a situation and then um, answer interviews for them. So one location is actually virtual reality as well. One of the uh, things with des design thinking is really testing in, in very early stages, yeah. you know, from paper mock-ups and then slowly trying to progress into more high fidelity prototypes uh, in the later stages. How do you m manage or organize the connection to the strong Deutsche Telekom brand, which is really quality and finished products? And how do you make sure, are you always uh, going out on the streets as Deutsche Telekom or are you um, sometimes hiding the brand in order to protect it? Or what is the, the strategy in this? Or is, isn't that a problem at all? It's not a problem at all. Um, I think um, I'm quite uh, surprised about the attributes you gave to Deutsche Telekom. Um, because when, when we talk to our customers and look in our, our market research, um, it's about trust. I think that's one of the key differentiators in the market, which is also very important for digital products and services that we are developing and that we are having and bringing to the market. And I think uh, one really strong element to create trust and to sustain trust, which is our daily challenge, is to be very transparent and open. So and therefore, um, there might be some, some um, 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 exemptions from the rule, but in most of the times we are very transparent and um, talking about Deutsche Telekom, that we are from Deutsche Telekom and that we are looking for a Deutsche Telekom product or service. Because in the end, 
uh, why should the customer complain in a very early stage uh, if we ask him what does he want? So that's, I think, something that shouldn't harm your brand, but more make it more stronger. Now I want to talk a bit about the, the future. <laughs> and it's always a difficult topic because uh, no one in the end really knows what's, what's going to happen. But tell me some of the, the, the methodologies or approaches you have to finding out what people need uh, in the future and, and how you, you make sure that or how you kind of add higher probabilities to different scenarios. Yeah, on the one hand side, uh, you're completely right. No one can predict the future. But our claim over here is uh, we can create the future together. I think Deutsche Telekom is a fairly large organization. So I think to a certain extent, we have the obligation um, to be responsible for what's happening in the future. I mean, the whole society in Germany is talking about digitization and infrastructure, and they are always turning to Deutsche Telekom because we are the major company driving uh, this digitization efforts. So we have a responsibility. We cannot do that on our own, but we can do that with our other business customers together with policymakers and so on and so forth. So we have to have a clear picture of where we want to go in the future and then think about step by step how can we reach this future. That's basically our overall strategic approach. And then the question is how do we come up with this kind of target picture for us? Um, and for that, on the one hand side, we do the um, quite usual things. We have trend scouts all over the place. Um, we are working with trend agencies. Um, we have our uh, technology and trend radar, which our colleagues from corporate strategy are doing to basically make sure that we are not missing any mayor trends. Um, then we analyze them, we filter them, we test them with our personas and, and see what's relevant for them. So those are the things I think most of the large companies are doing um, as well. But from time to time, we are also looking for some new ways to explore the future because uh, only if you venture a new pathway you have the opportunity really great innovations. Um, two things I briefly mentioned in my um, talk are for example using design thinking to create really forward-looking innovative things. Um, one thing we did is we asked digital natives, kids that are between 10 and 15 years, about their future ideas for the year 2025. And what they are saying is sometimes quite different from what normal people uh, in my age, digital immigrants, uh, are, for example, saying. But interestingly, it has a very close fit to what our technical experts say. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we, we had the opportunity to discover a few fields where we see a strong match with technology trends that are evolving, for example, around augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, robotics as well as what the digital natives expect from the future. And this is a quite interesting place um, to explore future innovations. How do you focus on the different, because the future has at least, if you think very broadly, two elements, and you, you talked about both of them uh, in your answer. One is really kind of the technology, technology scouting, and, and then the other one is consumer behavior or how people will change in, in their daily life. How do you focus on the two different ones and how do they also work together or are they just, how does it look organizationally basically in the whole future setup? Uh, well, of course we have a strong technology department that is focusing on the technology, but in the end uh, I'm working for the design department and our responsibility is to, to make sense out of both developments. So we are using the input from our colleagues, from the trend scouts outside, outside the organization and then think how does it match? How does it make sense? That's, that's our job. So on a yearly basis, for example, 
we publish a book called Trend Sphere, where we look on the one hand side on, let's say, very short-sighted typical design trends, like for example colors and material and finishing trends, but also on bigger societal uh, changes um, that, that we foresee and in between some technology elements. And we ask ourselves, what, what is the big picture behind? And this year, for example, we are, um, the subtitle is Experience Intelligence because we foresee a tremendous shift in how we as human beings will interact with technology. In the past, we had keyboards, then basically the touch interface came. At the moment, everyone is talking about voiceification. Um, all those smart speakers are hitting the marketplace and changing um, how we interact with technology, but I think that's not the end. It's just a starting point for more intelligent interfaces. And what we foresee, for example, is a space like this one over here that becomes intelligent, that senses who is here, what kind of needs you might have at this moment. Maybe I'm getting now a little bit chilly and the system senses it because it sees some reactions on my skin just to raise the room temperature automatically without me having to memorize the code word for the smart speaker over here and a certain syntax for a command for that one. And that is exactly this kind of interesting point where customer needs, technology, business opportunities merge together um, and create innovation spaces. How do you generally like, now you've been describing the, the different um, parts that kind of constitute the innovation in the end where you have to get everything right and then find some, something that, that can fly in the end. Um, do you have any hierarchy in looking at the technology first or looking at the customer first or looking at the viability so the the, the business opportunity first, or is it a mix, or how, how does it work to put those things together? Um, of course, our DNA is we are a tech company. We are bringing tech to the market. So, of course, in many cases, we start with technology, but we have to shift that. In the end, it's a balance of everything. And all those things um, should happen and must happen in parallel and should be equally weighted, because if there's no customer needs, the best technology is useless and vice versa. Um, what really helps for us, and that's basically also my, my center of competence and uh, responsibility, is um, not only talking about the future, but creating physical prototypes of this future. And that's what we are doing in the Telecom Design Gallery, the, our Future and Innovation Forum. And that's a quite interesting moment. If you talk, for example, to colleagues from corporate strategy, and they say oh, the next big thing is XYZ. So a couple of years ago, Industry 4.0 was one of our... Um, rising stars and we said okay we have to do something about that and I read the papers um, and uh, read the strategy and I read about um, what what technologies are coming and how it could solve uh, needs in, in the factory and then I went back to my experts my PSC and the organization said okay and, and what are the use cases we want to bring to the market and they they realized at the moment on PowerPoint, it's very easy to play buzzword bingo, but creating tangible use cases to give people, like we do it on a daily basis, a tangible experience of the use cases that are happening in a couple of months or years from now. It's a completely different topic. And that's basically where you bring a heterogeneous team together, designers, technologists, strategists, product managers, and ask how should that feel in the future? And then you are talking about technology at the same time, customer needs and business viabilities and create something that is just the starting point for a discussion. Let me ask, I've 
asked about teams earlier in the in the conversation, but now I'm curious what your experiences are with those kind of very diverse teams. Uh, you know, engineers think very differently compared yeah. to a designer on, on the other hand. And, and how do you cope with that uh, big opportunity on one side, but often a big challenge on the other? So, um, short story or short answer is it's very exhausting. Um, I'm an engineer myself um, and I'm working with a team of uh, designers and uh, also my wife is designer, so <laughs> it's sometimes very exhausting because they think differently. Um, they, they always want to understand everything and I'm a very pragmatic person and don't want to understand the last piece and bit. I want things to get done. And this creates tension. But this tension is also the impetus for innovation. So on the one hand side, it's very exhausting, but it's also very fruitful. And how to cope with it? Um, I think uh, to a certain extent to have to accept that. You have to understand that diversity is really important for innovation. Um, and then basically um, cope with the things that are happening and that not everyone is thinking like you and, and wants to do the right things. So I always try to see um, the value in this exhausting discussions we are having on a daily basis. Um, but that's, that's very fruitful because in the end the result is always better than I expected. Let me ask you about leadership in those uh, situations. Um, like trying to help and coach uh, those really interesting teams. What is important in terms from, from a leadership perspective in, in supporting them the best way possible? Um, so if we have a new technology coming out, two, three years ago it was augmented in virtual reality. We got the first HoloLens here in this organization. Everyone was trying to get a hands on it. And then I had the question, okay, what, what are we doing about it? Um, how are interfaces of Deutsche Telekom working on a HoloLens? What kind of products and services are um, working on that one? That was basically the ask. And now I looked in my team and said, who is the guy who is most desperate to do this project? And that was basically my leadership position to really find the right person who is, who is um, capable but also really interested in doing this project and matching that together. That's a luxury we have because to a certain extent we um, have a flexibility to staff people to topics and we are not basically doing on a daily basis uh, every day the same things. And that's um, the biggest privilege we have um, to find projects for the right people or the right people for the right projects and matching basically interest and skills with the demand we have. And if we do that well, um, we can create uh, very good and nice results. Let me ask you a question about kind of your, your personal journey um, from, from you know, being that organization or that new way, way of doing things differently, def definitely in, in, a, in a part, and driving this slowly, trying to drive this uh, throughout into the organization. Culturally, what, is, uh, what has been the challenges and, and your learnings on the way of trying to make an impact beyond kind of uh, the organization or the teams that you've been working in and with? We have to become more ambidextrous throughout the whole organization. That was a big topic. Also our CEO, Tim Hetkes, pushed in the organization. I think he's completely right. Um, because we, uh, I belong to the design team, which is part of the innovation uh, department of Deutsche Telekom, are always trying to change the world. That's basically our impetus and our task, always to question the status quo. On the other hand, we have a lot of colleagues that um, are responsible for ultra-high reliability because no one likes if his uh, phone is not working because we are just 
doing a new better version on the network and test out some crazy stuff. So we are provider of critical infrastructure and customers trust us because we are a very reliable company. So there are a lot of people that are, because of their job description, must be very risk uh, averse why we like to take risks and we have to balance that. And therefore, we always have to see um, um, what is the job to, to solve, who's working in a kind more of um, uh, explorative modus, the people that are driving in innovation, and who is basically in a more robust and reliable business who is more working on exploitive things in, um, in order to drive costs down. And those things are not separated in different parts of the organization. Every one of us has those different skills. So as I said, I'm responsible for the telecom design gallery. So my, my daily basis on the one hand side is to create crazy stuff and then do risks. But on the other hand, we have guests on a daily basis and they want to experience this future. So we have to maintain an, a place where we're doing 400 events every day and people want to have food that is tasty um, and they want to see uh, showcases that are working and not um, saying, uh, well, was a test and it's not working. So we have to have also high reliability in our daily operations and we have to balance that. And that's a big, big challenge to balance both sides um, of the coin. Last question, uh, Stefan. Really, when you, when you look at innovation and look a bit back, let's say 10, 20 years and uh, 15, <laughs> 10, um, uh, look back and, and see until today kind of what has changed and, and what are the reasons for those changes you think? Well, uh, what changed definitely, so I'm in this business since 2000, so 18 years now. Um, what has changed? The costs for innovation are going down tremendously. Um, what you can do, especially in the area of prototyping, mock-ups, uh, MVPs, um, today uh, setting up something that is working uh, in the field is just a fraction of the cost than it used to be 10 years ago. Um, so the costs for experimentation are going down. And that, of course, drives a lot of more people doing more things. And that overall accelerates the speed of innovation we are seeing. Um, and that's, I think, at the moment, my biggest challenge uh, and question how to cope with this rapid rate of change in the future. Because, as I said, I'm responsible for the Future and Innovation Forum um, of Deutsche Telekom. We want to look ahead, but this future is coming closer and closer. And to keep up and staying ahead of basically the mass market, that's my biggest challenge because the reality is evolving so quickly. Stefan, thanks again, once again, for the presentation. And thanks for that uh, interesting and pleasant conversation that we just had. My pleasure. Thanks on my side. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.